When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, James Rogers, and this is the History Hit Warfare podcast. If it's your first time here, we cover the history of warfare from Napoleonic battles to Cold War confrontations, the Normandy landings to 9-11, and this is an extra special episode. I'm delighted to welcome the 19th Secretary of Defence of the United States, William J. Perry, onto the podcast. Secretary Perry served under President Bill Clinton from February 94 to January 97, and he's joined by Tom Z. Kalina, who is the co-author of their new book, The Button, The New Nuclear Arms Race and Presidential Power from Truman to Trump. They came on the podcast to talk about nuclear decision-making and how, surprisingly, the US president has sole authority, all the power vested in one person, to decide whether or not to press the nuclear button and start nuclear war. It's been like this since President Truman, and both Secretary Perry and Tom draw on their vast history and the vast history of nuclear decision-making to explain to us why this policy needs to change. As Secretary Perry argues, our nuclear weapons policy is obsolete and dangerous. I know, because I helped design it. Now, I know you're going to love this podcast, you're going to find it fascinating, so please take a second to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and share far and wide. But here's Secretary William J. Perry and Tom Z. Kalina on presidential power and the nuclear button. Secretary Perry, Tom Kalina, it is a pleasure to have you on the History Hit Warfare podcast. Thank you for making the time. Great pleasure. Now, let's get straight into this important topic. There was so much concern during the Trump administration about how the president could abuse his role as commander-in-chief and perhaps even have darker nuclear ambitions. With one hand, he seemed to seek nuclear de-escalation and peace with North Korea, but with the other hand, he toyed with pressing the nuclear button on Twitter and even threatened indiscriminate bombing of cultural sites in places like Iran. But was this hype, was this worry really justified, Secretary Perry? Does a president really have that much power? Can a president make the decision to launch nuclear weapons on their own? Yes, a president has that authority. He has that capability. And I was worried exactly about the problem you're describing. More generally, the the greatest possibility of a nuclear catastrophe happening in our age is not a deliberate decision by a nation to start a nuclear war, but through some kind of an accident or miscalculation. Uh, This can happen through technical problems, or it can happen through a 
lapse in judgment of either our leader or Russia's leader. So yes, that's a real problem. And I would say the greatest danger in our age is that a nuclear catastrophe will happen through an accident or through a miscalculation. And the most obvious miscalculation is one made by our president or Russia's president. To expand on that, I mean, I think the height of the concern in the Trump administration was in just this past January, just a few days after the January 6th riot, when people were really quite concerned that President Trump had become unhinged by essentially calling for an attack on the Capitol building to the point where we had Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and this was captured in a recent book that just came out by Washington Post reporters. Nancy Pelosi called the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, and expressed her extreme concern that President Trump, who she described as crazy, could use nuclear weapons. And she wanted to be reassured that that wouldn't happen. And General Milley did his best to reassure her with kind of vague reassurances that, oh, we have a process in place and nothing untoward will happen. But in reality, he had no such things. I mean, he was saying that what he might want to do, but the policy is quite different. As Secretary Perry said, the policy is the president gets to decide, and a presidential order is the legal order. And we may want to hope that the military wouldn't follow that order. And you could imagine that there was some chance of that when President Trump so clearly showed himself to be unhinged after the January 6th riots. Ultimately, that's a hope. If we don't want the president to have sole authority over nuclear launch, we need to change our policy. That's the only way to give us a real guarantee, a real safeguard that an unhinged president cannot end civilization as we know it. I would add to that that the problem is not just with President Trump. The problem really exists with any president. And there have been examples in the past where we had a specific concern. The most obvious example being the last few months of the presidency of President Nixon when he was drinking very heavily. And many of his advisors were very much concerned about his becoming temporarily unhinged when he was really under the influence to a considerable extent. And I might also add to that, one of my favorite presidents, President Kennedy, was known to have illnesses which caused him substantial pain. And he was taking heavy pain medication for that at times. And that pain medication could have been mood altering as well. So there are many examples in history, Trump just being the most obvious example. That's an interesting point about Kennedy. Yes, of course, he had severe back problems, which I think they said went back to his time as a war hero during the Second World War, grabbing his colleague's belt between his teeth and swimming five kilometres to a uh, Pacific island for safety. And I suppose if you are incapacitated to that level on such high levels of painkillers, you, uh, you probably wouldn't want someone like that solely in charge of nuclear weapons. But let me add to this, because Hillary Clinton, Secretary Clinton made a similar warning before President Trump came to power. She said that someone like him shouldn't have the nuclear codes because she argued that it's not hard to imagine Donald Trump leading us into a war just because somebody got under his very thin skin. And we're focusing here on those who we say are perhaps a little unhinged. But can we trust any president with this sole authority? You can trust a Biden or a Clinton as much as you like. But should any president have this unchecked power? The short answer to that question is no, no president should have it. And there are other examples, a few of which we've given you, and which presidents who otherwise are perfectly reasonable and straightforward and whom we had a high regard for still had temporary lapses of sanity. The scenario that we worry about 
the most, I guess, is a false alarm scenario where there's a notification that the United States is under nuclear attack. And the time frames are very short. So any president would have less than 10 minutes to decide what to do in a scenario where there's a warning saying that an attack is coming in. And there's no way for the president to know that attack is real until it lands because of cyber threats, mechanical malfunctions, bad information, a whole host of reasons. And the question is, can you imagine any president, any person making a decision on which rests the fate of the world in 10 minutes or less? It's just an inhuman thing that we're asking presidents to do, or we're baking them into superheroes in a sense, and asking them to take on this godlike function of deciding the fate of the world. And it's just not fair. It's not a reasonable thing for us to ask. And so in our opinion, as you said, no president has that ability. We should not give any president that extreme responsibility. And I just want to add, we don't have to, right? There's no strategic case. There's no national security case that argues for putting the president in that dire situation. We don't need to do this. It's a leftover Cold War thing that we still do because no one's bothered to change it. But we do that at our great peril. We need to change this policy and we need to change it now. James, I'd just like to emphasize that this is not a theoretical problem, in my view. When I was the Undersecretary of Defense in the late 70s during the Cold War, I was actually awoken by a phone call from the watch office of the North American Air Defense Command. And the first thing the general said to me was that his computers were showing 200 ICBMs on the way from the Soviet Union to the United States. You can imagine what a shock that was to me at three o'clock in the morning. He immediately, happily, he immediately added, he had concluded that his computers were in error. And the reason he was calling me, I was in charge of technology at the time at the Pentagon. He was calling me to see if I could help him figure out what had gone wrong with his computers. Uh, the sequel to that story, that we, I could not figure that out over the phone. It took us several days to determine there was a technical malfunction, a computer chip had gone wrong in one of the computers and was giving us false information. So it's not a theoretical problem. It has happened three times in my certain knowledge in the United States and at least once in Soviet Union or Russia, maybe more times than once that I know about for sure, which has been written up by a book called The Man Who Saved the World, telling the story of the officer at the Soviet watch station at that time who got a, what seemed to him to be a perfectly valid indication of an attack determined on his own and against the judgment of his other junior officers that this was a mistake, it was a computer error, which turned out to be true. He was rewarded for saving the world by being demoted because he did not follow orders. He did not follow the orders he was supposed to have followed. Had he followed those orders, of course, we might have not be here talking today. That's incredible, isn't it? How just small feats of human restraint and rationality can stop the world from going into nuclear war, can stop Armageddon. I remember going through the archives while I was in the Library of Congress and looking at these papers between Kennedy and Secretary McNamara when they were asking about when they would launch nuclear weapons, under what circumstances, under what conditions. And Kennedy, who doesn't seem to have been too jacked up on painkillers at this point, said that even if there was a report of a nuclear explosion in the US, I would send you, McNamara, to go and see what has happened, to go and check and make sure this is actually an offensive attack and not a mistake before I made any decision. And of course, he showed great restraint during the Cuban Missile Crisis as well. But this is a worrying 
kind of predicament to be in, especially as we move forward now to a point of handing human control increasingly to computers. And so the point you make, Secretary Perry, is one that is perhaps more pertinent now than ever. If we trust what other computers are telling us, and if we move towards autonomous control over nuclear weapons or a more computerized process that can be hacked, do we see this danger increasing into the future? Yes, we're not only putting more reliance on machines, on computers, we're doing that at a time when those computers are more and more subject to malfunction because of human intervention. In other words, we need to worry about the, in the air of cyber, we have to worry about somebody deliberately entering our machines and sending them false commands. It's not just a question of the machines malfunctioning, it's a question of the machines being manipulated by some malevolent force. Just to add to that, you know, people seem to make this distinction between our nuclear infrastructure, which they assume is not vulnerable to computer hacks, and the business commercial community, which everyone assumes is getting hacked and is going to continue to get hacked. And the reality is that it's all the same stuff. I mean, we don't have different kinds of computers or different kinds of networks when it comes to our command and control system. It's all the same. So the dangers that you see to computers at home and in the business world, those are the same dangers that we have to our nuclear command and control system. And it's very, very disconcerting to think that our command and control system is hackable, but it is. And so it's one of the reasons why we conclude, after looking at all this, that a president in a situation where he or she gets an alarm of an incoming attack has to assume that attack is false until proven otherwise because of all of the dangers of false alarms, of hacks, of misinformation. There's too many different inputs that could be leading the president astray. So when a president gets an alert of an attack, they have to assume that's a false alarm until proven otherwise. And that means that you should never make a decision quickly. We wanna buy the president more time so they don't feel like they have to make a decision quickly. And in fact, that shouldn't even be an option. We should make it clear that the president has to wait until the attack has been proven to be true or false. It'll be astonishing to so many of our listeners that this is the current state of affairs, <laughs> that sole authority even exists. What caused the anarchy? How did medieval migrants shape the language I'm speaking right now? Who won the Hundred Years' War? Could England's lost patron saint be buried under a tennis court in Suffolk? How did England's last medieval king end up under a car park? And were the Dark Ages really all that dark? I'm Dr Kat Jarman. And I'm Matt Lewis. On Gone Medieval, we'll uncover the most exciting and unexpected stories about the Middle Ages, hearing from the best and brightest minds. We will disentangle fact from fiction, bring you the latest discoveries, and reveal how the so-called Dark Ages laid the foundations for much of the world we're living in today. Subscribe to Gone Medieval from History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Secretary Perry, you've been involved in defence policy since the 1960s when you were hired as a technical consultant to the Department of Defence and you rose up to become Secretary of Defence under President Clinton in the 1990s. Can you take us through a little of this history? How do we get to this point? How is it from Truman to now that we reach the baffling idea of sole authority? Well, let's start off first of all on how we ever arrived at that policy. I think I'm going to pass the ball to Tom on this one, who has a very good insight into the history of that, the very early issue of that. Tom, when you tell us how, how this first happened with President Truman. Sure, sure. I'd be happy to, because it actually is a great story. You know, we all know about the first two American bombs that the United States dropped on Japan. And we all think about President Truman having sort of perfect insight into all that was going on. In fact, he was quite removed from the day-to-day military operations. So he approved the use of the bomb. He had some sense of when it was going to happen, but he didn't really know what day it was going to happen. It depended on the weather. He didn't know how it was going to be used. He didn't really know the target that well. And there are a number of indications where the second bomb may have come as a real surprise to him. So here's President Truman. Two nuclear bombs have just been used under his direction on Japan. And the death toll, the catastrophic death toll was higher than he probably ever imagined it would be. And then he gets a note from General Leslie Groves, who was the head of the Manhattan Project at the time, telling the president that the third bomb will be ready soon. And remember, in these times, they used the bombs as they made them. There were no stockpiles of weapons. There was a bomb, they used it. They made another bomb, they used it. And now there was a third bomb in the making, and it would be ready soon. And this is when President Truman decided, no more. No more of this. That third bomb shall not be dropped until I, the president, say so specifically. And that was the origin of presidential sole authority. Now, at the time, what Truman was doing is he was saying, this is not a military decision. This is a civilian decision. And I, as president of the United States, am civilian leader, commander in chief of the military. And so I will take that decision for myself. Now, this is quite significant because we've never used that third bomb, right? We're now 76 years later. That third bomb has never been used. There's only been two nuclear bombs used in history. So that was a very significant moment where the president took that authority to himself. Would that third bomb have been used without that? We'll never know. But certainly Truman wanted to prevent the use of that third bomb unless he specifically wanted it to be used. And to this day, we have never used that proverbial third bomb. So we see as the civilian control of nuclear weapons as very important and very beneficial. 
The part that we quibble with is why the president made himself the only civilian that has that authority and why not share that authority with other civilians, say, in Congress. So what we would like to see is for the president, now President Biden, to share that civilian authority with other civilian leaders. So it isn't just up to one person who, as we've said, that's an unreasonable expectation to put on any human. We would like the president to share that authority with Congress or a subset of Congress, other civilian leaders that can weigh in and give the president a reality, a check of what's going on, whether those weapons should be used. And again, we understand that that will slow the process down. And we say that's a good thing because of all the unknowns about nuclear weapons or nuclear alarms and alerts. We want to slow the process down so that a president takes a determined, deliberative decision to use nuclear weapons, if at all. Was that not Truman's intention in the first place? Because if I remember going back through my history, he wanted to create the idea of one world or none. It's kind of one of the reasons why the United Nations was set up. I remember Einstein pushing for this and Stillard, the idea that you had to have nuclear weapons in control of a multi-government international organization that had that sole ability to hold nuclear power so that it didn't proliferate to many other powers. So wasn't his intention originally to have nuclear weapons or the nuclear weapon, perhaps, in the hands of civilian actors, many of them? And during the early years of nuclear weapons, during the Truman era and the Eisenhower era, there were numerous attempts by the United States to try to internationalize the nuclear bomb, to make this an international decision and international property. For one reason or another, none of those proposals ever succeeded. None of them really got seriously off the ground. But many people know that area, including President Truman, including President Eisenhower, were thinking about this problem and concerned about this problem. And there was a possibility for several years there that the bomb would become international property controlled that way, not the property of one nation having this godlike decision as to whether to use it. Whether that would have stopped the Soviet Union from building their bomb and having their own bomb is another question. It's not clear that that would. And in fact, the main argument against this move of internationalizing was whatever the United States did, the Soviet Union might proceed independently to have their own bomb. So it's a long and sad history of what happened over international control of the bomb. But when you look at that history, we were never really very close to achieving that goal. I agree that the moment in history where we had the best chance of controlling all this was in those very early days when President Truman saw the power of the bomb and decided for himself that he wanted international control of the bomb as a way to get out of this arms race dynamic. But it failed, as Secretary Perry said, for many reasons, one of which was the distrust that grew between the United States and the Soviet Union and the secrecy that surrounded the bomb and the bomb's use. Because, of course, the United States used the bomb in Japan without first telling the Soviet Union about it. And so there were many missteps. But to me, that's one of the main ones, is rather than bringing the Soviet Union into the secret and having a pre-discussion, if you will, about the nuclear age before it actually started, Truman in the United States dropped the bomb and had the Soviet learn about it from the newspapers, essentially. And I think that set us off on a very bad footing where at that point, then the Soviets were just like, well, we have to have this too. Clearly, you're not going to bring us into this. And so that started the nuclear arms race. There were many times where even if we couldn't have avoided the Soviet bomb, we could have kept the arms race at a lower level. 
right? We could have agreed not to build so many. We could have agreed not to go for the hydrogen bomb, the super. There are so many places where we could have stopped things at a lower level and begun to ratchet it back, but because of distrust at every level and the politics that were raging in both countries, particularly here in the United States of who was going to be tougher on the Cold War, those decisions often didn't get made. And it wasn't until the end of the Cold War when we started ratcheting that back. But of course, by then, many decades were lost. I will clarify one point on that, that before the bomb was dropped, Truman did tell Stalin the United States was building a new and a more powerful bomb without going into details, to which Stalin replied something to expand it. That's fine. I hope you use it against Japan. That was about it. There was no real discussion. Of course, the irony of all this is that when Truman was telling Stalin this through espionage, he was already aware that we had the bomb and that they were busy trying to build one themselves. Right. And so, in fact, what Stalin learned from that is that he couldn't trust Truman because Stalin knew that the United States had the nuclear bomb and he knew that Truman could have chosen to tell him about him at that point, And Truman chose not to. Well, Secretary Perry, Tom, I have one final question for you. We live in a world today where tensions are growing with China. Some say we're heading towards a second Cold War and tensions are most definitely holding with Russia. The UK is increasing its nuclear arsenal for the first time in a generation. Arguably, we've reached a point where nuclear tensions are more tense than ever. So how do we move away from sole authority? How do we create a more stable nuclear world? I would say that we are already in a second Cold War, a second nuclear arms race. It's already underway. And so the question is not whether we will start one, but how do we stop the one that's already started? It's a very, very, I think, dangerous situation. And there's at least three things that we think are tremendously important that should be done. One, as we've been discussing, is to end sole authority for the uh, initiation of the use of nuclear weapons that the U.S. president has. We believe the Russian president has as well. And so we see that as very dangerous in terms of crisis stability, which is a fancy way of saying that both sides fear that the other might launch a first strike out of the blue. And that forces both sides to always stay on the brink of hair trigger alert. And that's just a very dangerous place to be because it increases the risk of accidents. So we would want to see presidents in both countries share that launch authority with other civilians in Congress, for example. Closely related to that, we would like both countries to announce that they would never use their nuclear weapons first, because this is, again, what pushes this prompt launch instabilities that both nations are concerned that the other might launch a surprise attack, despite how unlikely that is, right? Because if either country initiates a nuclear attack, the other would be able to respond in devastating fashion. And it would be suicide for both the United States and Russia if either were to launch a nuclear attack. So rather than maintain an option that neither country will use, we'd like to see both countries and all countries that have nuclear weapons step back from the nuclear brink and say that they would not use nuclear weapons first. And third, the way to make that more credible, because ultimately that's just a statement of intent, the way you make that more credible is that you take your weapons off alert and you retire the weapons that would use quickly and first. So in the U.S. case, it's our land-based ballistic missiles, our ICBMs. Those are the weapons that would be used quickly and first because they're vulnerable. So we would like to see the United States and other nations retire, take off alert, and otherwise pull back their most destabilizing weapons that create this first-use fear in other states. And James, I'd like to add to that that I lived through the entire Cold War. 
I was just getting out of graduate school when the Cold War started in earnest. And I was hugely relieved when the Cold War ended. I never at the time imagined that we'd start a new one. But in my judgment, there's not only the danger that we're starting on, there's the fact we have started the second Cold War, the second nuclear arms race. And it's urgent that people have an understanding of just how dangerous the first Cold War was, understand why we need not proceed with new and equally dangerous second Cold War. If anything, the present Cold War is even more dangerous than the first because of the technical features, in particular, the introduction of cyber as an effective way of manipulating command and control systems of both nations. That's my final word. Thank you for the discussion today. Thank you both so much for your time. And please tell us where people can read more about this important, urgent topic. I start off, of course, with a book, The Button. That's a good way. But there are other books as well. I would also recommend the book, Command and Control, which is an excellent book on the subject. Tom, any other books you would like to refer to? Those are two good places to start. I would also recommend various websites, including plowshares.org, where you can find out more about the book, as well as a video on the book, and also about other organizations that we work with. Plowshares a funder in the field, so we're funding best people doing the most effective work. So you can learn about our partners, and those partners are domestic in the United States, but also all over the world. Many groups working to reduce nuclear dangers all worthy of attention and people looking at their work and websites. Tom, Secretary Perry, thank you so much. And please go out there and buy the book, The Button. Thank Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app.
So give it a go. I know you're going to love it.